Welcome to the Be Transformed podcast. I am Adam Lavecki, and I am here with DK Kim and we are your hosts. Thank you for joining us. We are in this space to help you renew your mind and transform your life. We will be having helpful, honest, and hard conversations about culture and the kingdom of God. These conversations will help you to not be conformed to this current culture and will help you to grow in Christ. Jesus commanded us to preach the gospel and make disciples. This is an ongoing digital discipleship discussion. If you find this helpful, please subscribe, review, and share the Be Transformed podcast. Episode 4, Deconstructing Deconstruction. Adam Levecki here. We are excited. We have a special, special guest today. Someone who Jesus is literally transforming her life. And so we're going to hear from her in uh, just a few minutes. But I want to remind you, this is the Be Transformed podcast. comes from Romans 12. I'm going to read two verses and share something briefly. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In verse 2, it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the word there in Greek is actually the word renovation. For something to be renovated correctly, there needs to be demolition. Demolition is sloppy. It's messy. It's difficult. But it is a necessary part of the renovation. So you cannot beautify what has not been demolished. And so today we're going to be engaging in deconstructing, deconstruction, and we're going to be celebrating the testimony of the Lord in Monica's life. So Monica is, for us, a sign um, in her generation, and uh, we, we know her through Rescue Church. She's been going to the church that I pastor and DK attends. And um, she's getting ready to be baptized. There's a, there's, a, there's a real work of the Lord in her life. And so, Monica, would you give us a context for your age, um, how you grew up, and what you were engaged in, and how the Lord brought you out? So that's a lot, but can you kind of... Yes, I will try to condense my bio, my life story. Um, well, I'm so happy to be here. I'm a huge fan of the podcast, and it's really an honor and a blessing to, to be joining you guys, who I look up to so much. And um, I'm 28 years old. Um, I'm from North New Jersey, um, Puerto Rican. My father's from Patterson. My mom is from Clifton. Um, spent the first few years of my life in the Clifton Passaic Patterson sort of triangle. Um, moved to Palisades Park. That's where my stepdad is from when I was five, and that's where I spent most of my life. I say I'm from Palisades Park because that's where I graduated and spent most of my, my school years and all of that. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Did you grow up Christian? So um, it was like my family had one foot in the church and one foot in the world. So we would go through a, a few periods, uh, a few years of or even a few months, it really depended on what was going on, of going to church consistently. Then we'd kind of drop off 
and then maybe six months or even a year later, and then all of a sudden we would start going consistently. But I would say my first most consistent memories of going to church were when I was like seven. And I remember um, that's when I started to have my eyes open to the power of God. I remember being seven um, and it was uh, 9-11 and hearing a testimony from a brother at church who worked in the Twin Towers. And for some reason, he like couldn't get into work that day. I don't know if that he was sick or like something happened to his car or he missed the bus or like something happened and God spared his life. And, you know, he shared the testimony that the following Sunday and I remember just being seven and being like, whoa. Um, obviously being like such a little child during like a tragedy tragedy of that scale and I still remember I think to this day I'm like yo I feel like I did hear the planes crash into the building people tease me but like I was in politics park it's like right on the Hudson you know so it's like I was just like I swear I heard something and then all the teachers were going crazy like you know and running around and you know school got shut down but that that's one of my earliest experiences of like learning about God's power and his, his mercy and grace upon people even if I didn't really understand the, the definitions of those words but um we were kind of back and forth um my grandma was always a really strong woman of god i would grow up hearing stories about how her father my great-grandfather was a pastor from puerto rico so um we were kind of in and out um and i didn't actually start to really get into church until i was a teenager and that's when the fire of god was just ignited in my life and i really fell in love with the lord so you guys were consistently inconsistent that's right. But yet there was this solid foundation within your family through your grandmother. That's right. Mm-hmm. So you had a praying grandmother and your family was kind of back and forth, but you knew the reality of God mm-hmm. when you were young. Yes. And then you're, you're a teenager and now the fire of God is touching you. What happens from there? So a lot of my um, childhood and teenage years were just kind of a mess of contradictions. I think I had a really overwhelming weight of rejection on my life. Um, you know, my parents didn't plan to have me. My mom was barely 19 when she had me. My father's family really rejected me. And I mean, to this day, the last time I saw him, I was about seven years old. Um, and at that point, I kind of told him I didn't want him in my life because his family was, um, you know, living um, a really violent, um, and drug filled lifestyle, like drug dealing the streets was the family business. So, um, I always had a sense that like there was a part of me that was like bad. Cause I was always told by my mom, you know, you're, they're just bad people. Like your dad's side of the family, they're just bad people. And, um, and then also, you know, growing up hearing stories about how he would treat her and how he beat her and hurt her even multiple times when I was in the room. Like, I don't remember those experiences, Jesus. but like, I know they still definitely affected me. Obviously, when you're such a small child, that still affects you. And even, you know, we understand even in, in utero, you know, when you're when uh, a mother is being abused or she's stressed out and anxious all the time, you know, or depressed, like that affects a child. So I think... I thought it was a fetus if you want to kill it, <laughs> a baby if you want to keep it. Yes, that was, that was me last <laughs> Last year on the the front lines of the the pro-choice pro-abortion movement but um but what yeah. happened to you uh i don't know man jesus <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so uh you know just to you know just to explain you know because i i think 
now reflecting on those times in my life um, as a teenager when I was, I mean, full of the Holy Spirit, like in tears, like speaking in tongues for like an hour and a half, like on the altar of like my church in Inglewood. And, you know, like on the worship team and, you know, leading Bible study at my school and like evangelizing to my classmates and, you know, just being so on fire for the Lord and why I still had so many issues. Um, you know, there were just so many deep rooted seeds of, of iniquity um, and of just generational curses that were in me, this overwhelming rejection, um, perversion, lust, and, you know, that was also a result of, like, really traumatic experiences I had as a, as a young child and the way that, you know, um, my innocence was just stolen from me. So it was like, um, you know, we spoke a lot about, you know, miracles and healing and all of that, like, in the church that I, I was really involved in as a teenager, I would say from the years from, like, 13 through, like, 16, um, I was super involved in in Inglewood, but like um, one thing, it, it was like deliverance wasn't really spoke about in a real like way, and I was actually joking here with TK, DK and Tina because you know it just God bless you guys so much. Like I'm just so grateful to to have everyone at rescue in my life and. Um, a f- uh, almost a month ago at this point, they invited me to a deliverance event that happened to be at the same building that this same church w- was at. Um, it's not the same ministry, not the same church. It cl- that closed down, I don't know how many years ago. But um, but yeah, so um, I'm there and I remember joking with them and I'm just like, if they were actually talking about deliverance in this way, I was like, I would have been taken care of 15 years ago. Like that demon of perversion would have been cast out of me, all of that. So I, I think that that's even though I was on fire for the Lord, there was just so much under the surface that I just didn't have the capacity, the knowledge and, and the leadership to uh, the mentorship to really understand how to get myself out of. So at this time, you're on fire for the Lord. And but then just you're going through this sense of rejection, spirit mm-hmm. of rejection. And you mentioned family stuff like generational things. Mm-hmm. Were you aware that was the root of those things at that time or was that not really in your radar? No, I really wasn't, honestly. I think I still um, hadn't done much reflecting or thought on the way that my early childhood experiences had affected me. Um, I, I just didn't, I was still so young. I was still very, you know, emotionally immature, generally immature, you know, so I didn't have that capacity to really sit down and think like, hey, like, maybe like I'm struggling in all these ways because of the things that I saw and experienced as a young child like I just didn't really think of that I knew that it was messed up but I didn't really think of that and at the same time too as I'm on fire for the Lord you know like to get into some real stuff I was struggling with a porn addiction I was struggling with homosexuality I was struggling with depression and with anxiety so it was just like I didn't really um, understand, like I, I was coming to the Lord and repenting for all the things that, like, I knew were like the obvious things, like the homosexuality, the pornography, masturbation. I'm just repenting, you know, and like knowing, like, I can't live like this, but like, I would still keep falling back into these things, um, and I didn't know how to actually get free. And then, um, you know, in, in terms of like my family as a whole and our struggles, um, I would just every day, you know, see my parents work so hard and still struggle to put food on the table and still struggle struggle to pay the bills and you know have to have conversations just like okay we only have fifty dollars to spend for like the next month on food you know and it's like me and my two siblings and you know just giving you a warning guys you know the electricity is about to be shut off you know and we have to wait until this check comes through you know so it's like 
I was dealing with all of these, you know, very like material issues in addition to the spiritual warfare, which I didn't even have like a real understanding of at this point. You know, as early as I can remember, I was dealing with things like sleep paralysis um, and, and, you know, spiritual warfare in that sense, you know, spirits coming into the room and all of that. But I didn't really have an understanding of what that was. You know, my mom just told me call on Jesus and that's what I did and I was okay. But, um, at the same time, too, you know, what is it? This is like during, you know, like the Bush years, post 9-11 um, context. And I was always someone who was really fascinated and interested in history and politics. I was, you know, really always psyched about that in school and, you know, like a nerd. And um, I, I was, you know, just turning on the news every day and just seeing so much war, so much poverty, you know, so much inequality everywhere. And I was just like, why is the world like this? And there was just always this yearning in me to find an answer um, to the problems that face my family and to the problems that I knew were not unique to my family, the problems that I, I could see that millions of people were facing worldwide. You know, this is also like 2008 financial crisis time. So it's just so much going on in the world around me. And, um, you know, and of course, I had those very stereotypical questions, you know, of just like, God, like, you know, like, I know, you know, you're all powerful, you know, so like, why are things like this? Like, why is my family struggling? And I remember one particular thing that happened to me that I really try to push forward through and keep my faith in. And it was, but I, it eventually did, I think, push me, you know, away from the church and, and, and lead me to lose a lot of my faith. And that was like this missions trip that my youth group was going on to Jamaica. And I remember I really felt in my spirit, you know, praying to the Lord, like, I want to go on this missions trip. And I didn't have a passport. Long story short, I raised enough money, bus my behind to get the money. My parents are raising money, everything. And my passport comes a day after the flight had left and there was like no way I could get there. And I remember like, they're just like video chatting with like the, the my friends down in Jamaica on this amazing mission trip. And I was just like, dang God, like I thought that's, you know, what you called me to do. Um, so, wow. so yeah, yeah. That's devastating for a young kid. Yeah. And I have some good news for you. You're going to have plenty of opportunities to get on a trip that's with right. us. That's right, that's right. So, that's good news. So let me ask. So you're, you're carrying these burdens in terms of economic burdens from your family or young kids. That's, that's too heavy. You're not meant to carry that. Um, for anyone who's listening, if you're a parent, you don't talk about your economic situation in front of your children. And you don't argue with each other in front of your children. That, that's just free marital uh, advice. <laughs> um, so can I ask you, it's kind of a personal question. Is that all right? We're, we're talking personal. Okay. So do you think that the perversion came from abuse. Mm -hmm. Would you say that that's accurate? Yeah. Would you say that a lot of times that's kind of how that happens? A thousand percent, you know. Um, you know, to, to kind of jump forward a little bit, but, you know, I, I didn't really say this in my bio. I was a very active member of the LGBTQ liberation movement, um, so called for, for most of my adult life and throughout my college years. And one thing that I consistently notice is being immersed in this community in New York City and, you know, really like being able to like count the number of like straight people in my life on like maybe like, I mean, I guess both of my hands, but I knew a lot of people being in the movement, but um, and being in a, in a national organization at the time. Um, but um, I mean, I, it was just a similar story from every single person that I had met um, who was of that, you know, the LGBTQ plus whatever identities, um, very similar time and time again. Um, if it wasn't some sort of molestation, sexual abuse, rape, it was a father not being in the home, 
you know, um, or emotional abuse or physical wow. abuse. So um, wow. I really cannot think of a single person that I know in my life who is of the LGBTQ identity who didn't have one of those experiences. Wow. So I, I need to repeat this. That's, that's powerful. So Monica goes from like an on-fire Christian. Yes. She, she suffers some abuse. It put a same-sex attraction and perversion there somehow. She's ingrained in this community. LGBTQ, Black Lives Matter, like everything, just far, in mm-hmm. a sense, far left. Yes. Far from God, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and her words are she doesn't know anyone in that movement who wasn't there as a result of abuse or neglect. That, that is really telling and stunning. I mean, that, that's really a profound nugget. Um, so l- let me ask you a question. So when did you kind of get into this, not only, let's say, having gay thoughts or feelings or attractions, but when did you kind of give into that? And then how did you get involved in the actual movement? Like, how, how did that happen? So, um, you know, uh, well, just uh, for context, I, I'd felt that way as long as I can remember, I was having this feelings and having this attraction, even like as a little girl, like I was always like thinking like, I'm just bisexual. Like I like guys and girls. Like, I think that's normal. That's it's been as long as I can remember. So I was never one of those people that was just like, God made me like this, but I was just like, this is who I am and God loves me. So it is what it is. And I know the Bible is telling me one thing, but like I'm fighting these feelings and praying on it. And I think, again, that was that critical piece of me losing faith over time dealing with these struggles and not really having, being in a space where I think I was given real answers or like people who were there to mentor me and lead me and, you know, help me to, to get to a place of true freedom. Um, you know, I'm a 15, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just, you know, I, I, I can barely read the Bible without, you know, my youth pastor explaining it to me, you know what I mean? So it's just like, of course, there are ways that the Holy Spirit moves in you and quickens you. But um, these were really big things that I was grappling with. And I didn't really feel comfortable bringing it to leadership at my church because the way that they talked about the issue of homosexuality was just like, they had like this one particular pastor who it wasn't even like he dealt with that himself or like had a particular testimony. He was just like a very like agitational, like angry speaker. So anytime this was again, 2008, 2009, around the time that New York state, um, legalized gay marriage. And again, I was always someone who, um, and I think this is something that I know this is something that the Lord put in me, who was always very passionate about justice and about, you know, people being taken care of and treated fairly. So uh, to me, it was really obvious, it was really easy, I'm sorry, to be deceived by the world and think that, well, the LGBTQ pride movement is just fighting for justice, right? So even as an on-fire Christian and understanding, okay, God created Adam and Eve, like, I was still able to be warped in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what it appeals to the soul of man yeah. because it's counterfeit compassion. Yeah. It's based on compromise, and it's just like, oh, we're doing this for oppressed people. And so the issue is, like many times, it's hard for people to dissect the issue. So as a Christian and as a pastor, the issue is that God defines marriage in Scripture. So marriage, this is Jesus, marriage is between one man and one woman. That's the intent of God. 
And so what happens is in America, when you redefine marriage, you are redefining something God has already defined. Mm. So in the church, there's a sense of like, this is a really bad situation. And one of the things that can happen in church is we can fight a battle um, in the air, but not fight the battle on the ground with this young 15 15 year old girl who's struggling. And it's something that we have to be cognizant of because in spiritual warfare, you have, there's a battle in the air, on the land, and in the sea. And so I'm using a three-way metaphor. And so the air is the media and legislature and, and, and structures and systems. Now the sea is the dark forces that want to come into agreement with what's in the air to hold people on the ground hostage. So as Christians in kingdom people, we have to fight this battle in prayer with legislature, but also we can't neglect the person who's abused and hurting and neglected in front of us. And so it's like, um, it's, it's kind of like you're getting shot at from three places and you kind of, you know, you got to put your body armor on and kind of figure out what's happening. Mm-hmm. And so I would like to just apologize to you, Monica, for just people who are unaware and didn't see you because God saw you. And I, and I know that that's really difficult to experience. And, and I would like to just ask you to forgive me on their behalf, kind of doing a little identificational repentance, which is not really my flow. But I, I sense, you know, to say that, like, just forgive me for those pastors and leaders, maybe who weren't able to see you. And I, I think that one of the things that I've learned is that many times, if they were able to see you, they probably would care. And and so I've learned to give people the benefit of the doubt because sometimes we're human and we're preoccupied with one battle and we miss the other two. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm, I'm sorry that you experienced that. That was probably really difficult. And so basically you experience this feeling, whether it's real or not, it's real to you. So you have this feeling of these people aren't safe or I don't trust them enough to tell them or you know they're just gonna judge me, which may not have been true, mm-hmm. but it's what you felt at the time. And so you reacted and responded from that place. And so now, you, you kind of engage in this lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. But what, 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 how did you get into um, becoming kind of a spokesperson mm-hmm. for the movement? Yes. I, I'll, I'll just say quickly, I appreciate that. And, you know, and again, I think it was really essentially that, that place of rejection, that feeling of rejection, right? Um, and in terms of how I, I, I made the switch, um, you know, I just basically started to get more and more agitated about what was happening in church, about the anger. I was talking about this particular pastor, the anger and the hatred that I was feeling when they would talk about this issue. And I was like, the, the Lord, the God that I know is a God of love, is a God of mercy and forgiveness and grace. And what I'm seeing up here on the pulpit is nothing but hellfire and, and anger and judgment. And I'm not with it. So I remember... Um, it was really that. It was literally the same weekend where New York State legalized gay marriage. And I think it was a Friday or Saturday it happened. I remember crying because I was so happy about it. And then the next Sunday, they give the mic to the same pastor spitting at the mic. And I was like, I'm done. I was just like, this is just it for me. And I kind of stopped. I just stopped going to youth group and solely. And I think at the time, my, you know, it was really me and my mom that were always like, okay, let's round up the kids. My siblings were kind of too young to, you know, I mean, I think it doesn't matter what age kids 
kids are. And that's a beautiful example I've seen at the church, you know, these kids on fire for the Lord at such a young age, but they were never really, you know, so clung on to it in the same way that I was. So we just kind of slowly stopped going. And, you know, I just threw myself into to the feminism and to studying and reading up on that and then getting into all these online communities of like um, gay women and, you know, chatting with people, you know, and just getting, watching like the L word and like all of these like LGBTQ shows about like women living the queer lifestyle. And I was just like, I just want to be a bisexual Carrie Bradshaw. And, um, <laughs> and then I, I go to, I start going to college in the Bronx, move out when I'm 18. Um, and, um, just get involved in the women's club there, start linking up with all the queer people. Um, and then, uh, I started my kind of like political activist career, um, doing, um, work, uh, promoting like, uh, what we called reproductive justice on campus. So that was promoting the usage of condoms, um, trying to push, um, and birth control, trying to push the university to, um, and I, it was a Jesuit university. I went to Fordham, um, trying to push the school to um, enact more progressive um, uh, student like laws when it came to um, student life and you know getting um, housing for like gender non-conforming students um, getting them to offer better like sexual health care on campus because of the the it was a Catholic University you literally like couldn't like have condoms in your room like you could get written up for that um, and it was it, it was illegal to like hand out condoms on campus so we would like go to like events like dances and different campus events, sporting events, and just blast condoms, just make condoms rain everywhere. And we started like a, a condom delivery service um, where we would literally like people could just text a number and get condoms delivered right to them like pretty much any time of day. And um, and we just started mobilizing around these issues. And a student that I met there who was a year above me, um, she became my mentor and she's the one who introduced me to the, to, um, the, the world of um, far left politics and um even before I, I attended my my first meeting you know uh, of, a, of a marxist leninist group i months before that i was reading marx in a philosophy class and again these were questions that i had for years like why does poverty exist like why do people why do i see working class people struggle so much why is war a never-ending thing and i remember reading marx for the first time in my philosophy class and being like looking around just like does am i the only one who who does not see that this is like describing our economic and political system like this is describing the way that our, our world functions I was just like what so like then when I actually started going to these meetings and meeting these people and having these conversations I was just like what y'all are describing to me is what I've always wanted to articulate and what I've always seen in the world but I didn't so I finally but I couldn't I couldn't speak and I didn't have the writing and the understanding and the literature to be able to to under to 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 say and um, in the history, you know, I didn't have that that understanding. I didn't learn that in school. So um, it just, I was like, I finally found the truth. It was like, I don't know, Charlie, like the golden ticket. I was like, I found the golden ticket. Like, I finally understand the world around me. Like, woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> so while this is all going on and you're making this change and now you're finding this new world, this mm -hmm. new tr truth, so to speak, where was God in relationship to you? Like, was he like, did you just like reject him totally or was there still like a certain kind of relationship or did you just stop believing? Like kind of where was that in your life? You know, um, I never stopped. I never became like atheist. 
I think a little for a little bit, I was like in high school. Maybe I was like because I had friends who were like I, I'm agnostic when I would try, try to talk to them about Jesus and stuff. I think I started to um, believe. I, I never stopped believing that there was like a God and like a Creator, but I think I started to quickly fall into like more of like a New Age understanding of like the universe and like there's different gods and goddesses, but. And I always knew there was a part of me that was spiritual, but the political was something I was always so fascinated by and was always a general interest and passion of mine. So it was really easy for me to just dive into the political. And then as a Marxist, we call it having like a materialist under analysis of like the world. So I was just like, I just didn't really care about the spiritual. And in terms of like my relationship with Jesus and stuff, I was just like, that was just the phase and I was you know just like yeah like that was just what brought me comfort at that time but it wasn't really reality and it equaled all of this hatred and injustice and stuff that I stand against so like I just really don't care about that you know like I felt like the real way to show love like the real love was like to fight for a better world that was just and equal to for everybody and I didn't see the way that I grew up to understand God in the Bible didn't fit into that at all. And now I have a completely understanding and argue that it does. That's exactly what the Bible is preaching, but but I didn't have that understanding back then. Wow. So it's kind of like almost like you kind of like pressed mute on God. Yeah. Put him on hold for a few years. Mhm. And so so you had this awareness of God but not really a fear of God, more like it almost like the church or God was irrelevant mm-hmm. to your ambitions in life and your desires. So what about that movement do you think is attractive to people who are angry or abused or like what is it? Do you think it's a counterfeit compassion in the sense of not to say it lacks any empathy, but the response to um, things, um, the response is not quite obviously it's not a biblical response, right? Because the people are not Christian. So. To expect people who are not Christian to behave Christian is is delusional. It's crazy, right? But what is attractive about that whole movement? Is it almost like we are the champions of a cause? Like what, 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 what attracted you to that movement? I really just, I think it was just growing up seeing very clearly that the world is a messed up place. It's a fallen world, as we understand it, as as followers of Christ. And people just desperate for a solution to that. And people who are, because of the mistakes of the church, disillusioned by it. So I think that's what attracts people. And I think it's also, again, this, this profound rejection that so many people have. And I think now we see with the left and the way um, this like um, kind of like comfort politic and it's all about you, you're so special and we always have to cater to you and how you feel and it's all about you being comfortable and you expressing yourself. Like the reason why like that culture has become so pervasive is because people are are so broken and so hurt about themselves and hate themselves so much and reject themselves so much and feel so rejected by the world and their parents and their family and this and that that it's like now to overcompensate for that we have this culture of just like you 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 yeah it's it's pretty wild because the the transgender movement is basically an expression of self-hatred that's right and it's kind of like we don't accept who we are but you have to accept who we're not 
And if you don't agree with us, you hate us, which is not actually real. Like there's many people that I don't agree with and I actually love them and, and care for them. Mm-hmm. And when, when, I, when my life was going against God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes. So this idea that just because I don't affirm your choices or decisions doesn't mean I don't love you and I don't care about you. And anyone who has kids is, is like really aware of that. Mm-hmm. Like um, you have a kid, they're having a meltdown, they're out and they're acting like complete spoiled brat. And it's like, you're not any less loved, but right now you're not behaving in a way that's lovable. And so until you get under control, you, you don't even, you don't even know what I'm actually trying to do for you. Mm-hmm. Many times, you know, you, you have good intentions for your kids and you want to do something for them and they're having an absolute meltdown and they can't see your heart or your intentions. My, my question to you, Monica, is do you think that the man who was preaching was full of hatred or the demons that were afflicting you were telling you that? Or was it kind of both? Like, what is your take on how you experienced not being seen? Like, do you think it was the darkness telling you that these people hate you? Or do you think that there was anger or was it how you perceived it? Have you ever kind of asked the Holy Spirit to show you the truth about that situation? Mm, That's really, um, yeah, I really appreciate that question because that's not something that I've done. Um, You know, in my own just kind of, I don't know, fleshly eyes, I knew there were like a lot of issues with the ministry at that time. Like the ministry was honestly kind of falling apart and like the lead pastor had to take like a break and it was like this whole thing in the church and only certain people knew like what he had to take a break for and like everyone kind of, it was like a mess. Yeah. Um, so it was like, I think there was like a lot of insecurity in the ministry. Um, and um, I don't know, you know, that particular pastor, I didn't really have too much of a rapport with, you know, um, he had a really crazy testimony and, you know, had seen a lot of, you know, just powerful ways that God had moved. And I, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't say any of these experiences to say that, you know, he wasn't like a legit man of God or, you know, um, wasn't full of the Holy Spirit or didn't have love in him. I think um, the piece that it was definitely the, the demons in me were definitely riling that up um and making me feel like yeah it was just like an attack on this and it wasn't even like I felt so like personally attacked necessarily I I felt like this is just a community as a whole that has experienced so much oppression and injustice like that's really what I saw I'm just like you're just kind of stomping on the little guy like I was always someone who experienced as well like a lot of just like bullying and stuff in school and like getting you know called nappy hair because of like my afro and you know like made fun of like you know I don't know for just like the way that I look and the way that I spoke and stuff so I remember like always just having like even at a very young age like this indignation at you know like stomping on the little guy you know and like standing up for like the underdog so I think it it came from more of that but that is a really that is something that I actually really want to uh should impress the holy spirit you know to reveal to me just to help me reflect on those times but I think it was honestly mostly exactly 
that you know um those demons just trying to do anything that to they bring could you out. to exactly yeah. to bring me out and to instigate and i think um another really quick thing is what you're saying about this generation as a whole and what attracts people to these movements and i think in addition to this spirit of rejection i think it's a spirit of rebellion mm. and i think it's it's this disdain for any sort of discipline and it's this hatred for any sort of correction which is a natural response to abuse yeah mm -hmm. so the enemy brings abuse <laughs> with for a really intentional reason and that reason is he brings abuse so that people reject authority mm -hmm. because when authority is, is happening correctly it actually helps you and it facilitates order and blessing when authority is abusive manipulative and controlling it squashes who you are and so the natural response is rebellion because i got to get up out of this because this person you know is cramping my style is suffocating me i, I got to get up out of here and that is a normal response to abuse and so it's really difficult when people are, are victims of abuse and until you forgive you, you don't shake loose the victim spirit so once you forgive you're no longer a victim but when you live with this, this sense of abuse and unforgiveness, you, you reject authority, you live in a state of rebellion, and it squashes who you could become. And the enemy is really intentional on that. The only place in the New Testament where Jesus said, this person has great faith, which the Greek word is mega, is the Roman centurion who said, I am a man under authority, I operate under authority, I have authority, people are under me. When I tell someone go, he goes, and when I tell someone come, he comes. And that great realm of faith only happens through an understanding of how to operate and relate to authority correctly. And Adam, I think we're going full circle now because that's exactly the heart behind deconstructionism. There's abuse, there's a misuse, misuse of authority. So we want to just deconstruct the whole thing and throw the baby out with the bathwater. Which mm -hmm. is actually destructive. 100%. It's super destructive. Yeah. So now... How did you know, Monica, like, how did your conscience become alert that what you were doing is wrong, you needed to change? Like, how did that happen? Because, like, you're, like, woke, you're having fun, you're doing what you want, you know, what makes you feel happy, do you, whatever makes you feel good, and all of a sudden, you're not feeling that. So, yeah. how did that happen? Well, doing what I wanted and doing what felt good didn't actually feel good and wasn't what actually what I wanted um, <laughs> and got me in a whole um, pile of mess. Um, so it's a really honestly, I mean, just crazy way. Like I, I really just I, I could cry about my testimony <laughs> like at any moment in time because the way that God really just gave me so much favor and mercy Um you know, I'm, I'm doing this thing. I'm saying, you know, I'm married to the organization I'm in. You know, I, I came into my organization at a time where it was 35 members in New York. Um, by the time I left a few months ago, it was like 100, 170 members and candidates. Um, and it's a national organization, too. We've just seen a boom in growth with the black with the two iteration of Black Lives Matter 2014 and 2020 with the explosion of the LGBTQ movement um, with um I'm already like all the movements. There have been so many different iterations with the with the uh, with the Palestine struggle that really popped off um, last spring. Um, just all these different uh, movements. Um, even in the pandemic, we grew um, huge. So I, I'm in leadership. It was my third year in elected leadership. Um, and um, I'm working actually full time for a job connected to the organization. 
made a dream of mine come through. Um, and, and, you know, I always wanted to be a journalist, but I hated the, the mainstream media. You know, I wasn't trying to work for the liberal or the right wing end of it. And uh, and I was like, listen, I, I got to pay my New York City rent. I have a <laughs> massive student loan debt to pay off. Um, so I wasn't going to sit there and sacrifice a good paying job just to, to work and, you know, as an independent journalist. But I got an opportunity through my organization to do that. And uh, that experience was a, a toxic circus um, and really just brought me to a lot of new lows and really destroyed my self-esteem and um, it, it was really bad um, but I was pushing forward doing it because you know there's this whole theme you know um, when it in a lot of these spaces of just self-sacrifice um, and you know no boundaries you know just doing everything you can because it's for the people because it's for the people because it's for liberation because it's for a better world and, and this is you know what we have to be as leaders so um I was just pushing through and sacrificing my mental and emotional health for it. And, um, you know, uh, I... Uh, so to, to help people get better, you're getting worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, I, I always was so fascinated by the supernatural and by spirituality. And I think this is um, something that I've come to understand how the witchcraft and the dark side... Um, the kingdom of darkness steals the supernatural and try to act like they have ownership of the supernatural when it's really God who's the originator of all things supernatural and it's really the enemy, Satan, who is the, the greatest thief and who is the, the greatest imitator of God. Um, you know, but I didn't know all that. And, um, you know, to kind of go into a little bit of my background as well, um, uh, my whole dad's side of the family is super deep into Santeria, into, into witchcraft. And I grew up knowing that as well. And, um, you know, so those roots were always in me. So it was a matter of, of dang time before the enemy was going to wind me up into that too. I'm sitting here living a perverse lifestyle, addicted to weed, addicted to partying, binge drinking all the time, promoting abortion, promoting all kinds of perversity. And then you just got, got to throw the witchcraft in the, if there wasn't a sin that I didn't commit, let's just throw witchcraft in the offer too. So, so for those who don't know, can you quick, just quickly describe what Santeria is? Yes. Um, so Santeria is um, a form of witchcraft, really uh, very much practiced in like the Latino Caribbean. Um, you know, uh, it, it's very similar to voodoo. In the Dominican Republic, they call it 21 divisions. They have different kind of names for it wherever you go. I think in like Brazil, they call it Kambale or something. Mucam it's like Kambale. I don't even know how to say it. Macumba. Oh, Macumba. Yeah? Oh, okay. Um, so that's it. And it's all rooted. The Santeria is very much rooted in West African um, uh, uh, ancestral witchcraft practices. So Paolo, um, Mayombe, I think it is. It's a whole other host. And it's all very, very similar. It's, Umbanda. It's, it's uh, I just love the way they say all these words. Like, you know what you're talking about. But um, I don't even know how to pronounce them. Um, but it's like... Macumba and Umbanda, That, that that's mm. in Brazil. And it has its roots in Africa. Mm. Um, Santaria... If, correct me if I'm wrong. I could be wrong. Isn't that like the lie there? It's like white magic. Yeah, that's a that's a huge aspect of it. Um, I mean, I think in a in a lot of these religions, like there's there's an idea of white magic and dark magic. Yeah. And dark magic not inherently being evil, but them working together like yin and yang. 
Um, and that was honestly always something I vehemently didn't agree with. I was just like, nope, I practice white magic and I don't mess with that dark magic stuff, like period. Like I, that's always how I felt because I thought I was righteous in my witchcraft. But, um, but yeah, so I was just a matter of time and especially being in the movement as well in New York City. I mean, you, you roll in these spaces that are preaching perversity and things that upset and offend and <laughs> God, um, no surprise you're gonna find a bunch of witches and warlocks in these spaces. So I was, you know, around a lot of people who were in touch with all these ancestral practices and especially, you know, I'm Puerto Rican being uh, around a lot of people in the Puerto Rican liberation movement, it's seen as a cultural thing, like venerating your ancestors and, you know, worshiping the Orisha you know, like putting some fruit in the water at the beach and you know, saying a little prayer to, to Oshun or whatever, like it's seen as just like a, you know, the, that's like a, a Santeria god, goddess um, of the of the ocean, you know, and, and it's just seen as, uh, as a cultural thing, you know, you just do this to connect to your ancestors. So I started to believe that lie. And I remember going to Cuba four years ago with a friend who was more deep into that stuff um, and seeing like a Babalao um, uh, who is basically like a very, very high up like warlock in the in the century and I think the Palo faith um, it, it kind of crosses over a few different religions um, from again all West African um, descendant religions um, and, and yeah and getting like a lot of truth told to me and I was like oh whoa like you know what he's talking about that was the first time I got a reading and I was always really into astrology too even when I was back still in the church I, I there was just always something like I just loved astrology um, and everyone knew me you know in my old life too like as someone who was just I, I was the astrology person people would always ask me questions I would always be down to have those conversations I could remember everyone's signs so I was always into the occult and then um, that experiencing the Babalao kind Kind of brought me into getting more into and I was always around people who were into new age and chakras and I always like really looked up to these people and like saw this like kind of peace in them and this kind of groundedness in them and I was like I want to be like them you know like what is their secret and I would always try to have these conversations with them so then you had a political life and a social life and kind mm -hmm. of like a community but you were seeking something else more in this spiritual yes. realm and what was that like what what was missing here that you felt like the spiritual realm was going to deliver I, I wanted peace. I wanted fulfillment. I wanted to find my destiny. I wanted to find who I really was and what I was meant to do. I, I thought I, I already, I, I felt like I had mostly found myself in the politics, be, but I knew, I always believed in the idea of a creator and, and, and of supernatural things. So I wanted to connect deeper into the spirit realm, essentially. So this is the interesting thing. The foundation in her life had her searching for more. So even though she was searching in darkness, there was a search there. There was a seek. My question to you is when did you start figuring out this stuff is no good? Like how did you discover that? Like what was what was the how? It was starting to realize that the dark side outweighed the white magic and I had those experiences quite in my face uh with witches in my life who I thought were my friends who were sending bad magic my way. And I had multiple experiences where I was like, dang, my friend turns out to be an evil witch who was literally wishing death upon me. Great. And um, so at the same time, um, you know, these experiences are very much tied into um, my best friend at the time who was coming into her own um, and found out that she comes from a long line of shamans. Her family's from Peru. Um, she grew up Catholic, but never really connected with that at all. And at the same time was starting to get 
um, which she understands now as a born-again Christian, prophetic dreams and all of these things and picking up things, seeing things in the spirit. So she was getting into reading tarot cards and reading oracles and working at crystals and all that. And we started to reconnect and we started to get really close. So she was doing tarot readings for me all the time, doing spiritual cleansings for me all the time. And, uh, that's, and that's what led me to really actually really get deeper in touch with, uh, my spirituality. And at the same time too, even before we got closer, I started getting my tarot read, my palm read more consistently. And then it just kind of off flowed. So when I was basically dealing with spiritual warfare with all of the, you know, with these two particular women, which is, um, quote unquote friends of mine. Um, at that point, um, I always knew when I had sleep paralysis and stuff to call in the name of Jesus, that was not something that my best friend at the time knew. Um, but she learned that through her own experience because she was dealing with sleep paralysis for the first time ever in her life. And she didn't tell me about it. She didn't tell anyone. She just went online and was researching, how do I deal with this? And everyone was saying, call on the name of Jesus. So sleep paralysis, what, like demons or like got you kind of stuck to the bed sort of? Yeah. Like I how would you describe that? At that now, coming back to the Lord, that just unleashed so much spiritual warfare. So now I've seen it all. But um, back then, it was just I couldn't move. Like, it wasn't like I was seeing anything or necessarily feeling anything. Like, I just couldn't move at all. And I knew that I was awake and I couldn't move. So uh, my mom had just taught me from a very, very young age to say the name of Jesus, Jesus. So I would try to speak even though I couldn't move. And I would just be like, Jesus, Jesus. And I would, uh, you know, pretty quickly come out of it. So you felt for a moment completely powerless. Yes. And that is what it is like to be under the influence of the enemy. That's right. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Mm -hmm. The enemy is one who seeks to manipulate, control, abuse, kill, steal, kill, and destroy. That, that's the enemy. So, how, again... So now you're getting your palms read, you're, you're getting sleep paralysis, but you have this foundation, so you, you're calling on the name of Jesus. But you, you got to get us to, like, how did you know, like, this has to end, like, I got to come up out of this. It was a snowball. It started with that, and then I'm sleeping next to the cross, you know, I'm starting to not only just pray, like I had like an actual cross in my crystal. I would sleep next to my cross and crystal for protection. And then I would not only pray to my ancestors on a daily basis and, and venerate them, I would pray to Jesus. I would pray to all of them. I saw Jesus as just my homie on my spirit team, you know? Um, so disrespectful. I'm like, I'm sorry, I got every day. But, um, but yeah, and then um, basically it was like, my best friend at the time is getting more revelations about Jesus just being a really, really powerful spirit. And this is something totally foreign to her as someone who grew up in the Catholic faith with family members who just really venerated like Mary. Um, and um, so we're both just kind of like, okay, Jesus is a big guy. And I'm kind of like, and here's the thing. In all these years of my life being running away from the Lord, like I always knew it was a memory and something that I had always suppressed for all of those years from the moment that I left the church and I left the faith was that there is not a peace, there is not a love, there is not a power that is comparable to the presence of the Lord, period. I always knew that, but I buried that so deep in my mind because I could not reconcile that with what my flesh was feeling and what the world was telling me. So I, I just buried that for years. 
Um, but it started to come up and I wasn't really liking it in some ways. And especially basically my best friend at the time getting deeper and deeper. And she's like hearing from Jesus more and more clearly. And she's like, Monica, like Jesus's voice has just so much authority. And it's just so much different from all the other spirits that I hear. And then next thing you know, she's like, I'm meeting like this Christian. I met this Christian woman on YouTube. I just want to have a conversation with her. We're going to do a Zoom call. I'm like, girl, why are you meeting all these Christians? And she was trying to like get them to basically like validate like that, like witchcraft wasn't bad because we thought that we were doing white magic because it's just an example you know even when we found out that i had two friends at the time who were casting evil magic at me we said listen we're not moving with hatred we're not sending anything evil their way we're moving with love and we're praying uh that our you know our spirit guides can help us forgive them and that's it we're moving on we're just rebuking that evil energy coming at us and that's it like we just thought we were good righteous witches you know what i mean just trying to promote healing heal uh you know end generation curses find out our destinies and then we all tied it to the politics too because she also came from the movement that's why i met her so we were all tying it back to we're just fighting for justice we're just fighting for equality we're fighting for the environment we're fighting for pachamama mother earth um all of this so we all saw it as tied um, so basically Jesus is knocking on her door and then he starts knocking on my door at the same time in terms of just like, I'm just seeing Jesus loves you signs everywhere and like random mm, stuff like right. that. And like from new age at, to Jesus testimonies popping up on my YouTube page every mm. other day, like from witchcraft to, to Jesus testimonies popping up for both of us. And we're just kind of like, okay. And then, um, this is supernatural. The algorithms straight up. Wow. We're feeding her Jesus. Straight up. Mm -hmm. That's like the devil getting you the sinner's prayer. <laughs> no, straight up. Like, it's crazy how it's happening. Like, I'm telling you, like, I'm walking down. Like, one day I'm, like, randomly going to, like, uh, to, to grab a snack from the supermarket, which I rarely did by, like, my old office in the city. I look down. I'm on my phone, and I look down. I just happen to look down for a second, and it's Jesus loves you chalked on the sidewalk in the middle of midtown Manhattan on, wow. like, junkie row, on, like, the Manhattan skid row on, like, 37th Street. Like supernatural. Crazy. So 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 you're getting tormented by evil spirits. You're getting spiritually tormented and Jesus is showing up yeah. with power and presence. Yeah. I think it's important to also note today we're this we're recording this in July two thousand twenty two. Hmm. This wasn't that long ago, right? Oh when, yeah, when this was this, this time happening? last year. This was a year ago. So exactly, exactly a year, a year ago. ago. This is what's going on. And then uh, in May of last year, so a big thing that that came up for us was basically, you know, there, there's back and forth in the Christians, but I really don't agree with the with the COVID vaccine. So it was she was hearing very directly from Jesus and from God that he not with it. Long story short. So when I had to get the vaccine for church. I know there's like a whole another can of worms. Ooh, another episode. But um, but when I, f I had to get the vaccine for work, um, uh, to go on a work trip that I was getting sent on, um, I uh, she wanted to do like a real cleansing, intense ritual on me. And at this point, we're regularly calling on Jesus, calling on his name, praying to him in addition to our ancestors. Um, so I remember being in my apartment and it's some weird stuff. I'm not even gonna, like, I'm covered in coquito, bro. Like, I, I, it's some weird stuff. I would use coquito because I'm Puerto Rican. So what is that? I, I don't know. Oh, coquito is. is like um, a coconut drink. It's almost like a eggnog, but like coconut eggnog that's drink around the holidays, very big thing in Puerto Rican culture. So it would always come up in my readings that like coquito was something that I should use in my rituals because it connects me to my ancestors and to leave a glass of coquito out for my ancestors um, and to wash my hair with coquito as like spiritual cleanses. So, bro, I'm so just covered in coquito. That's all I can say. It's just so ridiculous. Isn't that sticky? Oh, it's so nasty. I didn't take my little spiritual cleansing shower after that. But and then, um, 
And then, uh, and then uh, she's praying for me, and she's like, I'm just feeling like Jesus so hardcore in the room. And I'm like, me too. And I'm telling you, it was the first time I'd felt the Holy Spirit in like 15 years, and I literally thought I was gonna start speaking in tongues. Like I felt the Holy Spirit so heavy, and it was something that was like, foreign and that I hadn't felt it in such a long time, but familiar and that I know this power. So the grace, the mercy that Jesus had on us to be involved in all of that and still show up in that way. Like I literally was in the middle of living this lifestyle and thought I was going to start speaking in tongues. Like it's powerful. So this is, a, there's a principle here. The scripture says in Jeremiah that those who seek me with their whole heart mm. will find me. So they're seeking the Lord. They're seeking cleansing. And they find the one who does the cleansing. That's right. It's wild how, how good and merciful God is. Mm -hmm. And this happens with Muslims all over the world. Yeah. You know, they're seeking God wholeheartedly and they find Jesus. <laughs> Jesus shows up in a dream and they're like, oh. Jesus is God. Yep. That's pretty clear. That is so that's, right. that's really powerful. Yeah. So you're, you're going coquito all over yourself. <laughs> Not ridiculous. coquito, but you, you got, so you're all. There was and, no alcohol in it. We would have yeah, alcohol And in. so now you're, but you're feeling the presence of the Lord, yeah. you're identifying it as Jesus, and then what happens? And boy, we still run in the opposite way. We still try to think like, so I wasn't really doing this. I was I was too wrapped up in the in the politics. Like uh, it was like my friend at the time. Like she, the spirituality was her twenty four seven because she thought she had a calling to be like this high ranking shaman. So that was a hundred percent her world. For me, it was more like seventy percent the politics, like thirty percent the spirituality. So she's like left and right starting me with Christians, and I was just like, why are you doing all that? And uh, she was just like uh, trying to have conversations about witchcraft with them essentially and they kept telling her left and right like sis like I appreciate your your curiosity and da 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 I see the love in you but like it's not cool and she's getting told that left and right we're just like yeah man nah they, they can have their faith and that's cool with them whatever and then she getting told at the same time too for them fornication is bad and all this stuff does before marriage we're like <laughs> no we're just like yeah no like that's good for y'all but we don't nah that's not us um and long story short this summer jesus is coming harder and harder and harder and um then we find my friend uh prays to the lord very specifically god if you want me to leave everything and come to you i need you to bring me a testimony of someone who is latina like me who is from the bronx like me who came out the same spiritual world that i came out of and and show me that and and I will believe you. And guess what she finds like two days later? The John Ramirez testimony pops up on her YouTube feed. <laughs> wow. And if anyone doesn't know John Ramirez, an amazing evangelist who was a hardcore Santero, high ranking warlock um, in the dark witchcraft from the Bronx. And he's taking um, the interviewer around the Bronx and showing him where he grew up and he just had a crazy, really just incredibly violent, messed up life, all kinds of craziness. Um, went to, literally went to hell and back. Um, and now he's been preaching for the Lord, you know, doing deliverance for like, what, like 10 plus years, 15 years now. And tell me how he goes into the same botanica that my mom took me to to help me get set up with an altar when I was in college. And that was wow. my best friend's favorite botanica in the Bronx. There are hundreds of botanicas in the Bronx. By the way, this botanica in the Bronx is on Fordham Road across from where I lived for five years. So botanica is a place where there's a lot of idols and trinkets yeah. and all kind of worshiping stuff it's right? like a witch store it's basically a santeria voodoo 21 divisions any kind of like caribbean witchcraft 
um, you know, a, a, a religion witchcraft store. Um, so they sell crosses there. They sell Jesuses there. But there, there's a fake Jesus. There's a false, there, there's a demonic spirit behind all those statues. You can get crystals there. The sage, the Palo Santo, all of the, it's like a, it's just a, 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 a it's like a Costco for witches. Um, so. <laughs> and we don't recommend you go there. <laughs> yeah, please don't. Please Unless you're going to preach sure. the gospel. And he's literally on, and he's there. They had all this graffiti of all the Orishas, basically the, the major gods and goddesses of Santeria. He's like pointing them out. And what's crazy is that on the graffiti on the side of this massive Botanica, the, in, in, the, in, the, in the side of this, all this artwork of these Orishas, there's a small cross and it says the truth on it. He's like, look it, they have it right here. It says the truth next to the cross. You can find this on YouTube. There's a million interviews with John Ramirez, but there's one particular one in like the picture you can see it on YouTube. He's like pointing to like this this graffiti like on the on the side of this building. So, so he's the answer to your prayer, the criteria. My 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 best friend's prayer, and you know, I wasn't honestly like I really thank God for for using um you know my my old friend in that way because there there was no I would not have come to the Lord with such urgency if it, if it wasn't for her and having that because I think that the fact that I was able to be convinced was a that foundation of my experiences with the Lord growing up. And B, the fact that I had such a deep trust and rapport with that friend, because if it came from anyone else, I wouldn't have believed in him. Like God knew exactly how I needed to hear it, where I needed to hear it, and who I needed to hear it from. Powerful. So, um, so now you're convinced. Now you got yeah. that. So what, what happens? Does things start moving quickly after that? No, it took time because, I mean, this was... A complete confrontation to everything my life was about. I'm a, an elected leader in this international, uh, really, I mean, it's a national organization, but with international ties. Like a couple weeks after, uh, two weeks after seeing the John Ramirez testimony, I believe, um, I'm in Colombia, like on like this on this trip with all these other leftists, like students and union organizers from across the country, like going to uh, meet with feminist collectives and LGBTQ organizers and farmers experiencing like the worst of like the the violence in in the in the civil war in Colombia and you know just having this mind-blowing experience so I come back from Colombia like end of August just like dang like Jesus I believe you're Lord but like I'm just so overwhelmed like I can't give up like I, I just felt like I couldn't give up my life like like how am I supposed to reconcile the fact that like salvation is number one and that was a back and forth that I had a lot at that front at the time like what's more important the politics or, or, or the salvation or the mm -hmm. ministry and it, it took me a long time to shake up and understand that saving souls is more important than just fighting against poverty and, and that doesn't mean to say that fighting against poverty isn't important that's something that attracted me so quickly to rescue and I think why God knew that I needed to be planted at rescue was because of such a, the emphasis that the ministry puts on these things that are biblical values that are that are the heart of the Lord but I couldn't reconcile those things um, and then it took me a long time too to let go of those those bad habits that I had the drinking the smoking even the pornography all that stuff it took me a while let me ask you a question so from your worldview where you were coming from you did not associate action with the church or did you? to an extent I always just felt like I saw it just kind of like as like this like colonizing missionary type of like understanding of it. Like, okay, cool. Like they're going to go and like hand out free food, you know, or like help build up a village in a really poor third world country place. But like, it's always like the, the, 
the real incentive, you know, is just always, or not even, it didn't even really bother me that the real incentive was like to spread salvation, but it was just like, I just still saw it as more of like just forcing this down people's throats, you know, and it's just like they're giving you, you know, I don't know, a loaf of bread with one thing, but like forcing you, you know, to like take a track and another like I, I just I think after all these years of like um, learning about, you know, I don't know, like just getting such like a leftist understanding of the way that like faith has played and religion and the church has played like in global history. I just couldn't help but like not, not tie, you know, Christian missionary work to like, you know, like, I don't know, like the crusades and, you know, like this thousands year long history of, you know, like the church doing really messed up stuff, you know, for the sake of, of God. So it took me a long time to, to separate that. So it took you time because you, you view the church as coercive. Mm-hmm. And instead oppressive of, and inherently of oppressive. Compassionate. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, part of that is because what has been taught, like one of the things that people don't really understand in terms of history is even the Crusades were actually a response. They were a response to Muslim invasion, slavery, and a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's unpopular to say that mm-hmm. because everyone hates white people now. Now, let me ask you a question. You used to hate white people. Like when you're when you're getting saved, do you still hate white people or you, you're not? I was past that at that point. You're I got past over it. it. So like, what made you hate white people? I think this is fascinating. Um, I think it was because I grew up experiencing a lot of racism, but not having a name for it. Like I didn't understand it as racism until I was older because I thought that racism was just something that was part of the distant past. Um, and you know, the days of MLK and Malcolm X are over, you know, so I didn't really understand it as that. And I think it was a unique experience to being Afro Latina and being the daughter of a very light skin, um, mom, and then also being raised by a, by an Italian Irish stepdad and having two white, um, siblings. I, I think that's really where the spirit of rejection really played into. I remember one time being like six years old and like going to the mall, um, and you know, this is when my little brother was born and walking around with my mom, my stepdad and people just like staring at me, just staring at me. And like, I remember coming home and I was so upset and I'm just crying to my mom and I'm like, mom, like people were staring at me, people were staring at me. Like what's wrong with me? And she's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, people were just staring at me. And, um, when I started to learn more about racism growing up in the history of anti-blackness in this country and globally, I was just like, dang, like this is what I've experienced my whole life and didn't really understand. And like. I'm not sitting here now. I ha- and, and I never even, you know, well, I did go through a phase where I was definitely just like, Rah, like, that's me versus the world. It's all the black people versus the world. Not been understanding, like, listen, I ain't been through anything that crazy. Like, it's just like, please, like, you know, okay, I've been called the N-word. Yes, I have experienced discrimination. But, like, no, I wasn't no slave. Like, so it's just like, come on. Like, you know, I haven't yeah. had it that bad. But it's just like, so I do have that nuanced understanding. But I think it was just like, me just having so much anger from those uh, from from those feelings and experiences that were really just grounded and, and agitated by those demons of rejection that mm-hmm. you know was put in me as soon as I was knitted in my mother's womb because you know like technically I wasn't really wanted I was unplanned pregnancy you know and like my dad's side of the family was sending witchcraft at me and my mom since they they had learned that I was pregnant that my mom was pregnant with me you know so it's just like I think that was really what um what instigated a lot of those feelings and then I just kind of turned it against and then like just a, a like lack of empathy that I saw from a lot of white people like towards people who are struggling towards poor people it was really 
Um, the, the height of those feelings were in college where I was going to a school like Fordham University where it's a lot, a lot, a lot of like utter, upper middle class white people who have like never been to the hood and Fordham is like smack dab in the middle of like one of the poorest congressional districts in the country. And like the way that they spoke about the community was so derogatory and it was just like this kind of like, and even like the community service initiatives, like there were people here and there, you know, who could you could tell really had a heart for people but a lot of it was just like yeah we're just coming to help these poor people out to make ourselves feel better like and it was just like that just made me so angry like so I think it was really honestly what really made it worse was just being at Fordham and 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 Fordham is where I saw a lot of racism for myself like experienced the most racism because where I grew up in Palisades Park and being in North New Jersey like it's so diverse like I remember coming to Fordham and it was just such a culture shock I was like I never knew there were so many shades of white like I was just like I've never seen this many black <laughs> people in my life i was I like i've never seen this many gingers all look the same i was just like what they kind of all did to me at that point i was just like because <laughs> i just grew up all around so much diversity around so many like immigrants and i was just like what is this so it was just such a culture shock for me not only just like racially racially and ethnically speaking but also just like economically speaking and just seeing all these people with so much money and i was just like what like and it just made me so mad and i think that's what also fueled like my leftist politicization yeah. being in that environment i remember one time being called like like we were I was going out to party with these two girls uh, these two black girls that I was doing a lot of organizing with they were not as far left as me they were like girl you crazy but um, they were like go be on your on your like on your Huey P. Newton stuff we're not joining you but okay but they respected me and we were like hanging out a lot at the time and we were leaving and it was so crazy for me to be with them too at the time because we were doing a lot of this racial justice organizing on campus and again I was kind of like the far left they were like the more liberal side but we were joining and they were part of like the black student alliance and I would be like yo coons but anyway but um but like uh we were we were cool at the time and we're leaving this apart this like off-campus student housing and this drunk white guy is hanging out the window and he's like black sluts matter black sluts matter at us and we were just like and i'm sorry like in our we weren't even dressed like crazy but it was winter bro like we had like long like jackets on and like even even if we were dressed like some like harlots it didn't matter like it's just like get out of here harlots so um so i remember they ran over to go tell like the camp Campus police are like, we need to report this to the campus police right now. I was like, this is just typical white, racist white people stuff. Like, I don't care. I'm like, I'm gonna go party, have my blood, and enjoy the night. Like, I didn't care. And it like launched this whole investigation. The guy ended up like not being able to graduate. Like, I'm sorry that you experienced it. It was that. crazy. That's terrible. But yeah, we, we I experienced yeah, a lot of racism on campus. So that's really what made me angry. But the organization I was part of was always about like um was always about like multi-ethnic unity, it was all about multinational unity. Yeah. So we were never on that type of time that you see a lot in like the anti-racist movement nowadays where it's just like all about just like kill all white people we hate all white people we refuse to organize white people like we were never on that type of time we did have more grace and we were always trying to recruit more black and brown people and we had a higher standard for the white people that we recruited in terms of like political maturity and like understanding and skill set like we would only really seek out like white the people best whites who, yeah exactly <laughs> the the upper tier yeah um, you better have some money to contribute to this cause here you can't little, be with we, us we dealt with more poor white people but they had to be but they <laughs> had to be intelligent yes oh 100 <laughs> percent. we agree with that for sure so that was interesting That's because classic. it was like but they had patience for people like me who were angry for the black and brown people who were really angry yeah. and had those feelings because they knew where it came from so i appreciate you sharing this because people have to hear other people's experiences mm -hmm. to begin to understand 
this is where people are coming from. Like, for example, like, I voted for Donald Trump, right? But I try to help white folks understand MAGA sometimes doesn't resonate with people because make America great again implies that America was great before. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, yes, it was great, but not great for everyone. And so if you're one of those people that it wasn't great for, that statement doesn't resonate with you. And so I just wanted to kind of explain that to some of the whites so they can get an understanding of how other people have experienced life and reality. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's important and, I'm, and I appreciate you sharing. And so I'm just not ready to just apologize for being white. But other than you that, don't have to. <laughs> I, know, okay. I know, I know, I just, I really do appreciate you sharing, you know, your experience because that is the experience of many Americans. And so you can't fix anything that you're unaware of. Mm-hmm. And I also can't feel guilty and won't feel guilty about something that I didn't do, mm-hmm. but I will have empathy and, and I want to have compassion for what people felt. Like that guy saying that it's really ridiculous, it's out of control, mm-hmm. and that that's really like, that's not cool. That's really sad. Um, I think that it's more of a reflection of him than the collective. Um, but it's unfortunate that you experience that. So now, so you're still you're you're like left politics wokeness, but yet you're started like you're you're starting to encounter Jesus. You're still smoking weed. Like how, how does this, like how do you come to the end? Of, of Monica and how do we wind up with like the new Monica 2.0 who's like very saved like how did that happen so it took time um you know so at the same time that I'm living this life and just consumed in these politics and it's my 24 7 you know no break from it I'm in leadership meetings every single night I'm a, a leftist journalist for a leftist publication um you know my best friend at the time just went full force into uh, into born again Christianity, and you know throughout it was like seven bags of all her witchcraft items because at that point like that she thought that was her calling. She was doing readings on people. She done readings on half my family. Like I'm referring clients to her. Like it was like that was her life. Wow. Um, she going to festivals and reading cards, like going to vendor markets and selling crystals, all this stuff. So it was a complete turnaround for her. But, um, she's like a social worker, you know, as a day job. So it was like, it wasn't like her turning Christian really necessarily shook up anything. I I don't know. It it felt very different reality. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So... And just elected leadership, you know, I'm just, I've always considered myself someone who's loyal, someone who who fulfills their promises, you know, or at least tries to, you know, someone who tries to be faithful to my word. So I was like, dang, like, I can't just sit here and quit. Like, I have so much on my shoulders right now, God, like, please have patience for me. And also, like, I'm scared. Like, I was in so much fear. Like, what is my life going to look like? How am I just going to leave my job right now? Like, how am I just going to leave this organization that I've been in for like seven years? Like everything that I know, like all of my friends were in that organization. Like my whole life was built on that thing. And it was just like, 
what are people going to think of me? Like, what am I even going to say to leave this behind? Like, for me to just leave and quit would be like, like, you need to have a good, not like I can't leave, but like without an excuse, but like, I felt like I had to say something, you know, like, how would I even explain this? So I was really honestly just depressed from like the months of like, September to like November, like October was probably like the lowest of low. And probably what really got me into gear was just like getting way too drunk, like a couple of times and like embarrassing myself and being like, I feel horrible. And then by like November, end of November, Thanksgiving comes around and I'm like, you know, a new year is coming. I just kind of feel like a new year. Like I have to start on a fresh page. Like, God can do anything. Like, I don't know. Something just started to trigger my faith. I also started to attend Bible studies that were really, really powerful with my best friend at the time and just hearing, you know, um, so many amazing testimonies and just being in a space, all these on fire, men and women of God. And I was like, yo, I, I want this. So I was just like, I can't care anymore. Mm-hmm. I've got a question. Mm-hmm. What was, so you're with passionate people, mm-hmm. the wokes. <laughs> I mean, they're 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 go they're gung ho. Yes, they are. You know, and so now you have a change in direction and a change in company. Is there something that you noticed differently? Like, was there a difference between what you experienced with the Wokies versus the Christians? Like, what? Like, how? Like, how do you go from like the far left, which is like in many ways it's really anti-Christian? Yeah in values yeah but with an underlying compassion and freedom Mm -hmm. it's interesting yeah right and i would even say that i think that people are in that movement with good intentions yes so yet you're now encountering christians and you're saying i want what they have what is it that you recognize that they have that you want and how is it different from in your mind what you've experienced with the woke folk I mean, it was a truer freedom that they had. It was an actual freedom, a freedom of the things of this world, of material things. That was a thing, having the materialist Marxist approach was like, we're just weighed down by the physical. We're weighed down by the things of this world. And that was so exhausting to me and like limiting. So it was my understanding. And it was also me starting to understand the spirit world is more real than the physical world. And the spirit world is the parent of the, of the physical world. So, like, how am I going to sit here and just be so consumed with the physical world when the spirit world is what births what we're seeing here? So it was that understanding and seeing that these people are actually living in, like, the real world, actually. <laughs> like, even though I can't see or perceive it. So, in reality, you are seeing the eternal yes. and the invisible... And you are seeing what is unseen. Mm -hmm. And this unseen reality is now changing your perception on time, space, matter. (laughs) Yeah, I was just like, oh, yeah. It was like throwback to 13 years old in church. Oh, yeah, heaven and hell exist. Um, Our life is nothing but a vapor. And we are in the end times. And I 
always had, even before I really, really came back to the Lord on some serious stuff, I was like, bro, we are in the end times. And I would always make this joke and like do it purposely to make like my old coworkers uncomfortable because they knew my background, like growing up to church. And I would be like, I would be like, I think my pastor was right, guys. I'd be like, I think we really are in the end of times. Like I would always say that. And I would just be like, but I was like, at a certain point, I was like, no, I really do believe this. But I was just like looking them in the eye. Like, I really feel like we're at the end times. And that freaks people out. Oh, yeah. Because then they're going to come into contact with eternity. <laughs> yeah. And they're not going to talk about that because they're and, a bunch of atheists. And you know what's interesting? Nobody's an atheist in a plane when it gets turbulence. Yep. <laughs> it's very interesting how when real, real craziness happens, people start reaching out. Yeah. So you're reaching out for God. God's reaching out for you. You're making this gradual change. And then what was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back in the sense of like, what was the, what was the finishing touch where God, where, where it was like a wrap? It was when I really started to see the spiritual warfare, like in a really, really vivid way. I already knew that there was spiritual warfare happening for my own soul, but um, it was me first coming to the understanding of um, my own experiences with spiritual warfare that I didn't know was that, but basically like coming to terms with my own deliverance that I needed, which was a whole nother story. Wow. Um, and I was like, whoa. And then once I started to recognize that, then my dreams were just, the spiritual experiences that were ha I was having every single night were just confirming it. I was like, demons, I just started to recognize y'all there and now y'all are exposing yourselves. Like it was just so many crazy experiences. Like me just like literally feeling like something getting into bed with me, me literally waking up and hearing like a voice say hello this demon literally was like hi like that to me like in this cheery voice the demon sounded like a white girl it was it's a white man it's a, a white, white man. man i seen him i was just like who is this hipster i knew the devil was a white guy <laughs> i was like who is this hipster who just manifested in my room like why are you here and he's just like your great grandparents sold me out to you it sold you out to me no i'm kidding but that that, that is the situation can though you, he didn't say that a little bit about wow. what was the power and presence of jesus like in those moments when you're encountering spirits i mean i'm just like calling on jesus jesus at that point i didn't really have an understanding of like the armor of god and da 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 um, now I'm straight up spiritual warfare ninja, bro. I'm throwing arrows at them. Bra bra bra. I got the sword of spirit. Bra bra bra. I'm going in. But like back then, I was just like Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Um, so like I would just be calling on Jesus, covering myself in the blood of Jesus before I would go to sleep. And you know, um, and yeah, I would always, you know, and he shows just, up. Yeah, he's always there. But um, what really happened to me? Cause it's a weird thing. I think a lot of us, you know. Uh, a lot of people go through is that like when we're dealing with the brunt of something or the attacks of something it doesn't really wake us up but when our loved ones are dealing with something it's like oh no like we're not playing like i was like when i started to see how the enemy was coming at my family i was like oh no it is a dubbing tin i was like it is over i was like nope i'm quitting i'm leaving everything like this is crazy so basically it was like Witchcraft attacks on my mom, which we already knew was, I already knew that was going to happen eventually because of the relationship she was in and a cuckoo ex who was into Santeria. When I was told that, I was like, girl, it is just a matter of time before that nasty little witch starts sending stuff your way because she's jealous of you. So that was eventually going to happen. So she had a dream. 
my best friend had a dream um, and we were like, okay, well, I, it was just kind of waiting for the day of reckoning on that. I knew that was going to pop off at some time and my mom had to face her own, you know, because she had come away from the church and was living all up in the world as well. We're both in the new age and the witchcraft together, me and her. So like, uh, she was like, dang, I got to change my life around too. Um, and then attacks on my brother as well, I think as a result of a generational curse. Um, and, you know, again, thank God for, for my best friend at the time. It came through in a dream for her and um he <laughs> was able to uh was able to confirm it as himself um and it's like new year's eve and like i am praying over him with my mom and we're like you need to sit down like he is not a believer we're still interceding for him we're like you need to sit down the enemy is coming at you right now we need to intercede for you and he knew he knew it was the truth so it just really was like the enemy coming at my family and things in terms of deliverance and you know um spiritual warfare um, being revealed to me and i was like bro it's a dub it's over and so you knew that you couldn't fight those battles in the natural oh no so what's very interesting is that in reality it's the supernatural of god and the grace and the mercy of god reaching out to monica you hear no one preached to her really except her best friend mm -hmm. but her best friend is is really in reality experiencing god in a way that is real so it's not like you know, she turned on the television. It's like they're experiencing God in real time, meeting them mm -hmm. where they are. Yep. And so the, the thing that really brought you to the Lord is the, the warfare mm -hmm. that you saw on your family. Yeah. That's profound because that, the same thing happened to me in my life. Mm. My parents are going through a really difficult time. My prayer was, Lord, don't make my family another statistic. Mm. I'll live for you. I'll go to the ends of the earth for you. And if I have to, I'll die for you. Mm. And the Lord turned my whole family wow. around mm -hmm. and so now that's the same thing that god did with you mm -hmm. because your mom is getting baptized saturday the same weekend that i the day and before you're getting I baptized mm -hmm. sunday yeah make it up this is powerful. Yep. I mean, this is... And even you guys know a lot of testimonies, too, I have in terms of uh, of my mom and deliverance. And I mean, just craziness. God has just been so good, so faithful. So, you know, uh, so this is the end of the year. You know, I'm already... I knew that my time was coming up in terms of leadership. I was ready to hand over the leadership. I was on, you know, you know, uh, holiday break, um, and I knew I was coming back to my job that first week of January, and I was like, I'm getting out of here soon. I was like, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it is soon, and I know God is going to provide me a way out. So it was like, I think it was like January 8th or something. It was like that first Monday after uh, um, New Year's Eve where like, or New Year's Day where everyone was going back to work, and my boss had accidentally said, given us the date of Tuesday. So we're planning to go back Tuesday, but he's like, oh no, I meant Monday, but he's like, listen, I'm going to respect you guys. And like, if you don't want to work Monday, then don't work Monday. Um, so because of that, I was able to attend a prophetic meeting by this ministry that I had, I had, uh, joined the group chat with and was attending zoom calls with, with my, that my uh, best friend at the time had introduced me to. So at that meeting, I got some of the most powerful prophetic words to this day. And I've got a lot of prophetic words. God has blessed me a lot in the prophetic. Sometimes too many prophetic words. Um, but like, um, <laughs> and he spoke over my life, gave me multiple titles that God has anointed me with told me that God is going to provide me a strategy to get out of my job. Told me that he is doing a divine reset on my life and he is creating a new value system within me. 
And I mean, yeah. the rest is history. After that, the, mm. the throughout the week, I'd already been telling my manager and my who who was a mentor to me for many years. I was already really being totally transparent about this. He's a total atheist, and I'm just like, I'm going back to Jesus. I don't know what to tell you, man. And he's sitting there trying to debate me, trying to convince me about liberation theology. I can mix the faith with the politics, and I'm like, nah, bro. Like that's not it. That's not what God is calling me to. And I wow. told him that Friday, just that Friday, um, we're on Facetime for like three hours. He's just trying to he's just so curious he's like a very curious guy he's like really trying to understand where i'm coming from in these experiences and um at the end of the conversation it's like 9 30 at night he's like listen he's just like i don't want you to feel like you're pretending to be something that you're not you know so what's your financial situation look like i'm like bro paid it paycheck to paycheck you see how much i'm getting paid and he's just like <laughs> and he's like and he's like well i will he's like i'll I'll guarantee you the next two paychecks so you can make sure that rent is covered for next month. And next week will be your last week. Just say your goodbyes. And I had a podcast at the time I was doing with two other people. I was doing kind of like this like sort of apprenticeship, I don't know, thing with like another international publication. And um, I had to just let her know. And that whole week I was just basically letting people know I was leaving. And that was that. And I, I had already told people that after I left leadership, once my term was up at the end of the year, that I was um, going to take a long break. So I, t- I began my long break three months. And in three months, I felt on my spirit. God was telling me to officially resign. I officially resigned. And I mean, I don't know, the rest is history. I had a whole month for the first time in my life where wow. I was getting paid literally to spend hours and hours of prayer and worship and reading the bible for a whole mm. month straight powerful and god power like just provided for me in perfect timing to get a new job and go back basically to my to my old career and you know i, I mean the rest is history so quick question how did you find rescue church so um and you, you mentioned to me that the lord told you to come here so oh yeah I'm like, straight up how did that happen so um, at like the I wasn't really rushing to find a church because I was feeling so because of my own experiences and stuff and things that God was revealing to me. I was just feeling really skeptical about rushing to find a church and, you know, just running to the nearest like assemblies of God, because that's the kind of churches I grew up in. Um, so I was researching churches in the area and rescue is actually like the first one to pop up because it's literally a four minute walk from my house. And um, honestly, I didn't tell you this. So this is funny, though, because, you know, like I was just still kind of like trying to like come like I was just coming back to the Lord with such a deeper understanding of so many things like than when I grew up so honestly I was being like kind of judgmental and legalistic I was like they dress mad worldly I was just like just really dumb reasons like why I was like judging the church which was so stupid now I'm like who cares but like and I was sitting here like what am I talking about but God just had me through a serious uh season of consecration and like had me throw all my jewelry out and I was like only wearing dresses and skirts for like four months um but yeah so like but that was I'm being discriminated against because I'm dressing nice. I know because you're wearing sweatpants at the pulpit, bro. I was like, nah, I'm that's disrespectful. Out and I'm bad now. Like, I was like, you're wearing sweatpants at the pulpit. I was like, that's disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, but God, I'm, I'm not saying that that's what everyone has to go through when they come to the Lord. I'm not telling you throw out all your stuff and only wear dresses. But that, that was just what God put me through because I was a party animal and I was dressing uh, like Miss Thotty McCotty for many years. So that's why God put me through that. Um, so uh, You're back to wearing pants. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which because... is like a work of the Lord. Because you had like an Aunt Jemima hat on. She came out and we just loved that's on her. We're like, we're like, you know what? We don't, we just, as long as you come with clothes on, like we're good. You know, we, we don't judge you. And we just showed you love. We're like, whatever. Like she was going through. Cause I went through that too. I went through a major stripping. 
When I got saved, like I didn't buy any clothes. I grew my hair. I stopped getting shape ups. I, I went to like I went. God just put me in a frying pan and just yeah. cooked me. So I get it. That's why I was laughing at you. And I was also like, wow, like she's kind of mature about this because she's like, well, you know, this is for me. I'm not pushing this whole skirt thing on all of you. Like I'm like, wow, like this is interesting. Like and I knew, like when I heard you say that that day, like we were at an outreach, yeah. and I'm like, the hand of God is on this girl. Because God is dealing with her, mm-hmm. and that's beautiful. I remember you saying that. And and I know that when God deals with someone, it's because He's making them into something powerful. That's and we right. know God's going to use your voice, oh, and yeah. you're going to be a sign in your generation. Mm-hmm. And um, this is kind of like a first fruits of that. But now your voice is going to be used to call people out of darkness. And right. so this is really really powerful to see how God has transformed your life in in a in a huge way, yeah. quickly. For me, you're a sign. And I don't say that to make you feel good because that's not really how I'm, I'm not really wired like that. But I know for sure you're a sign. And when I see you, honestly, it brings hope to my life because the, the ideologies that you were embracing are inherently destructive to mm-hmm. humans yes, and dehumanizing to them. Mm-hmm. And to see what God has done in your life, it's huge. So I want to just kind of pass you the ball would you pray for anyone who's listening? Maybe they're struggling with gayness. Maybe they don't know. Maybe they have self-hatred, abuse, authority issues, yes. whatever. Can you just pray that folks who are listening will encounter Jesus in a way that is transformational? Yes. I definitely, um, I want to say that prayer. I'll say it really quickly, though, to wrap, because it, it gets even crazier with the testimony of how I found the church. So I sat there and judged, Little Miss Judgy Pants. Um, God is checking me on that. And a couple weeks later, when I, w- I think I was more ready, and I, and I had tried out another church in the neighborhood, I went like twice in a week. And I w- the following Sunday, I'm planning to go again to this other church for the second time. And I'm praying to God, and I'm like, God, you know, before I leave the house, I'm like, God, anything you want me to see, anything you want me to hear today, anyone you want me to meet, you know, let me just, I, I just, I just want to, you know, have my spiritual eyes and ears open to what you have in store for me at, at church today. And all of a sudden, a picture of you comes to mind, a picture I've never seen before. I knew what you looked like just from like looking at the website and stuff. And honestly, like stalking your social media, I was stalking everybody because I do my research. Yep. Um, but this was weeks ago. This was like maybe three weeks ago. I tell pastors all the time, social media is the front door. Yeah, yeah. And um, so this was this was weeks ago. Like I hadn't I hadn't seen anything in a while, and it was a picture I've never even seen of you. But you know, you're a very distinct guy with your big beard. Um, so like you were like at the mic, and it was like a side a profile picture, and you're like at the mic, like something like that, like with your hand out, like obviously preaching. And but it was a picture I've never seen of you before, and that just image came to mind, and I was like, oh, I was like, that's the church right here. I was like, okay, God, I was like. So that's and the, like I was like God, that's where you want me to go, and obviously it was like yeah, like the Holy Spirit was like yes, and I was like okay, and so I went, and it was such a powerful sermon, and like left to right, just like everything that I needed to hear in the moment. You're talking about poverty being you know a work of the enemy, and you know just all this stuff, justice, and I was just like yes, and. I mean, the rest is history. And I walk in there, it's like five people there because I think it was like a Sunday where a lot of people were like out of town or something. Um, That's always super encouraging. Yes. 
I was uh, no, that wasn't like discouraging to me. I was just kind of like, what's going on here? I was just like, what's up with this place? But I was like, listen, like I feel the Holy Spirit here heavy, you know, like Sarah was leading worship, one man, whole show, just powerful worship. I was like, this is amazing. And then Mary comes up to me just like, hey, how are you? And I just start pouring. I'm ready to tell my testimony to everybody. I'm like, I just came out of witchcraft and the homosexual lifestyle and I've been I'm dealing with gay. demonic. <laughs> I'm not gay. <laughs> It's so powerful. And it makes me have joy. I, I just am like overwhelmed with like, man, like the Lord stuck his hand and just pulled me out. Yeah, he pulled back. me out. He pulled me out. Yeah, um, it's so amazing. Anyway, I just wanted to share that up because it's yeah. really crazy. It still blows my mind about how God brought me to rescue. Before you pray, um, I just yes. want to point out one thing I found so interesting with your testimony. Mm-hmm. So you're, in your story, you were seeking acceptance, freedom, mm-hmm a calling and a destiny Mm -hmm. and you weren't getting that as a as a younger woman Mm -hmm. and then i felt like the devil offered you that in a community where it promoted self Mm -hmm. just validate the self yes the self and in the name of freedom but you got more bondage yes jesus offers you freedom through the death to self-life yes and surrender but then you get everything you're looking for. You're getting <laughs> yeah. a calling, a destiny. Peace. You're getting you're getting peace. You're getting freedom, real true freedom. And mm-hmm. I find that so profound. Yeah, wow. the way Jesus, the way he works in his kingdom. That's right. That's right. And now he turns everything, every curse into a blessing, every trial into a testimony. It's just Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Um all right. We're so I just want to let you know that Sarah and I are leaders, DK, Tina, the folks. We're just so proud of you in in the sense of you embracing the Lord and just wanting to do what he has. And so we can't wait to see who you're becoming in the kingdom. And so would you just pray over the people? Yes. Yes. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father God, I just want to thank you, Lord, for anyone who is tuning in, who has made it through this long, long episode. Um, I just pray, Father, right now you will just soften the the hearts of anyone who is listening right now, Lord Jesus, and just open up their spiritual eyes and ears, Lord Jesus, and just prepare them, Lord, to be ready to receive, Lord, whatever you have in store for them, Lord. For you say, Lord, you uh, you your thoughts of us are more than the pieces of sand in this entire world, in the depths of the sea. Lord Jesus, you know the number of hairs on our head, Lord. You have knitted us in our mother's wombs, Lord, and you have a purpose, you have a calling, you have a destiny, Lord Jesus, for everyone who's listening, Lord, for every single person in this world, Lord, that you love them more than they could ever, ever imagine, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that anyone who is listening right now, Lord, can in this very, very moment, Lord Jesus, as they hear my voice, can hear your voice, Lord, and can hear and feel the love that you have for them, the everlasting love that you have for them right now, Lord Jesus, God. I pray, Father God, Lord, that uh, my testimony, my experiences, Lord, and the conversations that we've had tonight, Lord, can just pierce through their hearts, Father God, and open up their minds, Lord Jesus, to the possibility of a life consecrated to you, Lord Jesus, of the new life that you promise us, Lord Jesus, of the eternal life that is only possible through you, Lord Jesus, God. I rebuke every single lie, every single distortion, every single bit of confusion, every distraction, every bit of noise, Lord, that the enemy is sending their way. 
we cover, Lord, this uh, entire podcast, Lord, and the people who are listening, Lord, right now in your armor, Father God, in the shield of faith, Lord Jesus, um, in, in the faith of things that are unknown, in the faith, Lord, of things that we cannot see, Lord, and that shield of faith, Lord, to quench every fiery dart of the enemy, Lord Jesus, and of the sword of the spirit, the sword, which is your word which is a double-edged sword, Lord Jesus, to cut through every lie and every power, every snare of the kingdom of darkness, Lord. We just pray right now, Father God, that their hearts and minds will be open, Lord, to any experience, any encounter, Lord Jesus, um, whether this podcast be that experience or encounter, Lord, whether something else, Lord Jesus, another conversation that they have, a person that they meet, Lord, a video that they see online, whatever it is, Father God, that will help them to understand, Lord, the everlasting love and life that only you offer, and uh, the, the purpose that is upon their life, the calling that is upon their life, Lord. You say, Father, that you do abundantly more than we could ever even ask for. And we pray, Father God, that there will be a faith that is ignited in those who are listening right now, Lord Jesus, um, to believe, Lord, that you are who you say you are and that you love them more than they could ever imagine, Lord. And I just pray, Father God, right now, Lord Jesus, that they will just feel your Holy Spirit, Lord, um, the power of it, Lord, the peace of it, the love of it, Lord, just surrounding them wherever they are, Lord Jesus, and that they will just take that step of faith, Lord, to pray to you and to seek whatever answers um, they, they are seeking, um, to get what, to, to ask anything of you, God, and just to um, whatever confirmation that they need, Lord, uh, whatever it is, Father God, on their hearts, Lord, you know our hearts inside and out. So I just pray that, Lord, for whoever is listening, Lord, that you will place a desire in their hearts, Lord, to seek you in prayer, Lord. For we know, Father, you say, that if you seek, uh, if we seek you, we shall find you. And that when we speak to you, Lord, you will hearken unto us. You will listen to us, Lord Jesus, for we are your children. So I just pray that, Lord, over everyone here who, is, who might be listening, who is struggling with any sort of rejection, who is struggling with any heartbreak or pain, any trauma, any abuse, um, who has been through anything difficult in their life, Lord Jesus. We know this is a fallen world. And we pray, Father, Lord, that they will seek you as the answer, Lord Jesus. We rebuke all disbelief, Lord, all doubts, Lord Jesus, and know that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and you are not a man that you should lie. We thank you, Lord Jesus God, for bringing this uh, audience here to hear this podcast, and we pray that it should be a blessing unto them, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for bringing us together, me, Pastor Adam, and DK here um, to conversate and to share our stories, Lord and of the blessings and the testimonies you've given us. And in your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for being with us, Monica. Adam Avecki. DK Kim. Thanks for listening to the Be Transformed podcast. Adam Levecki here. On behalf of DK Kim and I, we want to thank you for listening to the Be Transformed podcast. If you have found this helpful, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. Thanks again for listening to Be Transformed.